my wife and I have been praying for you and for our time together that the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, would work in each of our lives. That I would be hidden behind the cross. That you wouldn't hear from me. You'd be hearing from the Lord Jesus through me and through one another. Does not the word of God tell us to gather together to encourage one another? And it is our privilege to serve the Lord. And I would, I would just let you know that um, we are so, so excited to be with you and to be seeking what God wants to do in our midst. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles or your devices to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at 12 through verses 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12. And then we're going to just jump down to 3, chapter 3, Philippians 3, 1 and 2. Philippians 2, beginning at verse 12. Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run in vain or labor for nothing, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. I want you to imagine with me for a moment, you're a Christian and, and you have been invited to an investment seminar. You're excited. You want to be a good steward of the financial resources the Lord has given you. The only problem is, as you're heading to this financial seminar, you get stuck in some horrible traffic. I don't think that ever happens around here. <laughs> but you get stuck in some horrible traffic and as a result, you don't get to the seminar until toward the very end, you walk into this huge ballroom and people are eating dessert and the speaker, she's up there saying, and that's how, that's how I made my financial success. Oh, you missed it, yeah, you missed it. I mean, you're thinking, oh, what, what steps did she take? What did she do? You want to know, as one commentator years ago said, you want to know the rest of the story. <laughs> well, as I look at this book of Philippians, I get the same exact sense when I read Philippians 4, 
chapter 4, verse 1. Just look at that with me. Just look across the page. Philippians 4, 1, Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I read that, and my immediate question is, what was Paul saying? What's the that? <laughs> what all is encompassed in that? I want to know the rest of the story, if you will. Paul is talking about standing firm. Folks, it's all through Scripture, this idea of standing firm. Let me take you through a couple. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul writes, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith that you stand firm. Galatians 5, 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Or Ephesians chapter 6, 11 and 13 and 14. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. So, again, how do you and I stand firm? How do we stand firm in a society that Christian author Stuart Briscoe describes in the following manner? The good is not always comfortable. The good is not always comfortable. The right is not always profitable. And the truth is not always I submit to you that these commands that Paul is talking about, that he lays out for us how we can stand firm, he's giving us four commands as we enter 2024. They're in our text, and I want you to see them with me. I want you to write these down if you have a, a piece of paper. I want you to take these into your heart. I'm praying that the Spirit of God will work in each of our hearts. Four commands. The first is work out. Work out. The second, and we're going to look at each of these. Work out, hold out, pour out, and watch out. Let me share those with you again. Paul gives us, in our text that we just read, Paul gives us four commands for standing firm in a quicksand society. The first is work out. The second is hold out. The third is pour out. And the final one is watch out. Look with me first of all at Paul's command in Philippians 2.12. He writes, Therefore, dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to what? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we know, we know that we're, we don't gain our salvation by works. Paul says that in the very next verse, verse 13, for it is God 
who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Working out our salvation here means allowing the Lord to work in and through us, to draw us close to him, to make that time of worship so joyous, a time of exaltation so splendorous, and, and to continue to work through us that we will be the fragrance of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. That's what he means when he talks about working out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. But what do you think of? What do you think of when you think of working out? Somebody says, I got to work out. Huh? It's the gym, right? Yeah. It's the physical thing. What, what's required? Think about this with me. What's required to work out? There's three things. First of all, you got to have you got to set aside some time, right? You got to make time to work out. Secondly, there's got to be discipline, right? And thirdly, it's sometimes pretty painful, right? Those are the three elements of, of physically working out. A physical workout requires time to go to the gym, to pick up the weights and to go for the walk or whatever it is that, that we get the workout from. It requires this time. You know, we live in a, in a fast-paced society. I don't know about you, but when I'm at a stoplight, a red light, and there's a car in front of me and the light turns green, my immediate reaction, and the guy sits there, you know, my immediate reaction is I, want, I, I don't do that, but my, I, want, I, I want to hit the horn, right? Why? Why is that? Why is it on I-95 that, you know, I can be going, uh, careful here, <laughs> I, I can be going the speed limit, and somebody will come around me like, you know, they're going 90, I mean, literally, they're going 90 miles, why? I'll catch up with them at the next light or something. <laughs> time. We hold time so very precious, and that's what makes working out, partly so difficult. Well, there's, then there's the discipline, right? I mean, you, you have to make time and you have to discipline yourself. It's, it's not fun to work out. It's not fun. You have to be intentional about going to the gym or, or lifting the weights or doing whatever it is that, that causes you to be at that gym or working out. And then and then lastly, working out, it's painful, right? You, have you ever heard the phrase, no pain? No yeah, no pain, no gain. I mean, if you're, not, if you're not exercising, if you're not causing those muscles to burn, you know, I always, I, I go to Planet Fitness, and I, I love, I love to, to be there, but I'm intentional when I go there. And, and it, just, it just absolutely makes me wonder. Some people are there, and they're walking like this, and they're on their phone. And I'm thinking, why are you here? You know? I mean, there's no energy being put forth here. There's no pain. You see, you and I, when, when we work out physically, it requires time, it requires discipline, and it requires pain. Folks, the same three elements are necessary for our spiritual workout. Are they not? It requires you and me to make time to be alone with the Lord, 
to read, to make notes, to have devotions, to, to pray, to get away from all the busyness that's, that's in our society. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I try to have devotions every day. I don't always have those devotions. Why? Because I got this thing to do, and I got this thing to do, and now I got to go, and I got to get this done, I got to get this done, right? And before I know it, the day's done, right? There's so many things that come in, and when I'm trying to pray, you know, I go before the Lord, and I start to praise him, and I thank him, and then I think, oh, I need to get down to my granddaughters, because we got to get her over to the hospital, or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it, it, requires, it requires this time and, and discipline. And then it requires sometimes pain. Listen to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. The author of Hebrews 12, 10 and 11 tells us, God disciplines us for our good and that no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. You know, the scripture talks about all scripture is designed for our teaching, our for our uh, teaching, for our uh, rebuke, uh, and for our training in righteousness, right? There's that rebuke where God sometimes, Chip, what you just said wasn't very good. You need to apologize. Chip, you just got impatient there. That wasn't right. Or if I'm reading, oh, you know, Lord, I'm so sorry. He disciplines us. And that can, that can in, in a sense, be a painful thing. What am I saying? What am I saying? Folks, I want, I want to work out my salvation with fear and trembling, and that's going to take time. That's going to take a discipline. That's going to sometimes be painful when the Lord, in no condemnation, in his love, rebukes me and points me in a different direction. I love what Hannah Hernard, Christian classic, says in her book, Hind's Feet on High Places. Listen to this. But the high places of victory and union with Christ cannot be reached by any mental reckoning to self or to be dead to sin or by seeking to devise some way or discipline by which the will can be crucified. She goes on, the only way is by learning to accept day by day the actual conditions and tests permitted by God by a continually repeated laying down of our own will and acceptance of his as it's presented to us in the form of the people with whom we have to live and work and the things which happen to us. Every surrender, he, she, he, she says, every acceptance of his will becomes an altar of sacrifice and every such surrender and abandonment of ourselves to his will is a means of furthering us on the way to the high places to which he desires to bring every child of his while they are still on this earth. That's what we're talking about here when we talk about working out. I adjure you as I adjure myself. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Secondly, Paul gives us another command here that we might stand firm, that we might stand with the Lord Jesus Christ as we enter 2024. Secondly, Paul says that if we're to stand firm, not only are we to work out, but we've got to hold out. Look at, what, look at verse uh, 14 to 16, Philippians 2, 14 to 16. Paul writes, do everything without complaining or arguing 
so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you, what? Hold out the word of life. What's it mean? What's he talking about? Folks, do we live in a crooked and depraved generation? I mean, I've never seen it like this. I mean, all you've got to see is gender fluidity, critical race theory, abortion on demand, and that just names a few. You and I live in a crooked and depraved generation, and standing firm means that you and I need to hold out this word of life, this word of truth to the dear deceived people all around us. And that, of course, means being able to lead others to Jesus Christ, being able to share our testimony, being able to explain what it means to be a Christian. Let me give you an example. Let's say after church today, after church, instead of going home, you go to a restaurant. And an, a waitress comes up to you and she says, uh, I saw you praying before you ate. Are you guys Christians? I, I want to know God. Can you show me how to be a Christian? Would you know how to lead that waitress to Christ? I'm just saying, if you don't, we need to ask the Lord to give us that skill. We need to work within this body of Christ to teach one another how we can work and teach and show the truth in this crooked, depraved generation. I love also what Paul goes on to say. He says, we shine like stars as we hold out this salvation. You know, it's fascinating to me what the world defines as stars. I was listening to a, a message by Pastor Brian a few, few weeks ago, a few months ago, when he was talking about his love for basketball. He was talking about LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Pete Maravich, talking about them as, as the stars. Folks, you know, <laughs> we hold these people up, these Hollywood actors, these, these athletes, we put them on a pedestal. We parade them around as marketers of our, of our cars, our shave cream. What's in your wallet? Hmm? Yeah. Right? I mean, I lost 5,000 pounds on NutraSweet. Right? I say this, I say this in true humility, Lord. You and I are the stars. The scripture tells us you and I are to be these stars, the true stars that hold out the word of life, that unblind people who are deceived all around us, friends, family members, work associates, college friends. We are the ones who are the true stars. You know, the book of Jude, the next to last book of the Bible exhorts us that we are to pull people, what? Out of the fire. We are to be able to hold forth this, this truth, this word of God, word of life. Third, not only are we to work out, hold out, we're to pour out. Wow, what's that mean? Folks, I suggest to you this is one of the most freighted parts of this passage. Oh, it's a freighted passage. The Apostle Paul in 2.17, he's saying that he's being poured out like a drink offering on these people. You have to understand the context. You have to understand the background here. 
In the Old Testament, the main offering was the burnt offering. The secondary offering was the drink offering. The drink offering was there to make the burnt offering better. Do you capture, do you capture this freighted meaning here for you and me? It was the, Paul was saying, I'm not the main offering. I'm here to make the main offering better. I'm here to make you better. I want to be that drink offering for you. We talk about living in fellowship with one another, encouraging one another. You and I are to be drink offerings within the church. We're to be the drink offering in our marriage. We're to make our spouse more like Jesus in our church. We are to uplift one another. We in our workplaces are to be drink offerings in our colleges and schools. We are to be the drink offering, not the main offering. That's hard to do. That's hard to do. Years ago, when I was just beginning to walk with the Lord, I had a drink offering. His name was Bill Malik. I came to know the Lord when I was 10 at a Baptist church camp, but then I attended a church that didn't preach the gospel, didn't really anchor itself in the word. So I, I grew up uh, in less than spiritual realms. And it wasn't until I was in my uh, uh, second year of law school, I went back to Pittsburgh, and I was in the Alliance Church there in Pittsburgh. And, and this man came to our college and career fellowship, and he said, if any of you want to grow in the Lord, I'd love to meet with you. And I, man, I was there. I wanted to grow. I didn't know how to grow. And I would meet with Bill. Every week he would come over to the campus, University of Pittsburgh, and he would walk around the, the campus study areas and, and interrupt people and say, hey, we'd like to talk with you about Jesus. And he'd sit down and, and get into conversation, and, and inevitably he would be able to share the gospel. And I tagged along, kind of looking over my shoulder because I was a bad Presbyterian. And, and I, I walk with this man month after month, and finally on one particular occasion, we're sitting with this man, and, and Bill says, Chip, why don't you share the gospel with this young man? I mean, it was, it was, I finally got the words out, and somehow I muddled through. And folks, after that, you couldn't stop me. I was like a gunslinger. Everywhere I went, I wanted to tell people about Jesus Christ. This man was my mentor. This man was my drink offering. He poured himself out for me. I, I plead with you. When the next time you come across somebody that irritates you, that offends you, that cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> that instead of being agitated, you say, Lord, I want to be a drink offering. Lord, I pray for that one. Lord, would you, would you work in his or her life? Help me, Lord, to be the drink offering, to being poured out. Finally, as you and I seek to stand firm in 2024, the Apostle Paul tells us we're to work out, we're to hold out, we're to pour out, we're to watch out, we're to watch out. Philippians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, my brothers, Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. What's he talking about here? 
He's talking about people who will try to sneak into your and my life and pull us away from our walk with the Lord. Who will try to insidiously put some kind of false doctrine into our lives. And of course, what he's talking about is the enemy. He's talking about Satan. You know, it's fascinating to me. In the Old Testament, the word for hell is the word sheol. You've seen it. S-H-E-O-L, sheol. You know the literal meaning for sheol? means to ask. To ask. What? What's it saying? It's saying it's always asking for more. Satan is always seeking to bring you down. He's never satisfied. He can try to attempt you today, and he's failing. He'll try tomorrow. If he can't do it this morning, he'll do it this afternoon. He's always, always trying to deceive and tear down. We, as Tom mentioned, we lived in Raleigh. We pastored there for a number of years, and every morning we would walk in, in Raleigh, and, and typically Marge and I, as we would walk, we would wave at people coming out of their homes as they would start their day, or a car passed by, we, we'd wave at it. As we walked, we were able to look and see the beauty of God's creation. But on one particular morning, we couldn't wave at the neighbors. We couldn't wave at the people that were driving past the car. We couldn't look up and see the beauty of God's creation. Why? Because there was snow and ice on the ground. We had to watch where we were walking. Otherwise, if we're, you know, look at it, boom, you know? Satan's like ice. Satan is like ice. Well, let me further that analogy. When we lived in Michigan, Sometimes we would be driving down the interstate, and all of a sudden we'd see a tractor trailer go, boom, and there would be this horrendous, horrendous accident. Why? Because of what we call black ice. Black ice is ice you don't see until you fall on it, slip on it. Folks, <laughs> Satan, Satan. And Paul here is saying, watch out. Watch how you live. Stay anchored. Continue to work out your salvation. Continue to follow and worship and love this Jesus. That's how we stand firm. We work out. We hold out. We pour out. And we watch out. Let me close with this story. It's a true story comes from a friend of mine by the name of Bob Welsh. Bob has gone home to be with the Lord. He's a wonderful, wonderful Christian brother. And Bob tells the story about how he as a nine-year-old with his family visited his grandfather along the Puget Sound. Now, if you know anything about the Puget Sound on the West Coast there, it's, it's a part of the waterworks that's part of the Pacific Ocean that runs along the cities of Tacoma and uh, Seattle and other major cities. It's a beautiful, beautiful portion of water. The grandfather lived right on the uh, sound, the Puget Sound. And so every morning, Bob would go out and venture out along the water's edge, wondering about how this wonderful water would look like if he could ever get into it. His father gave him a fishing pole and a worm and hooks and said, you can go out there, Bob, and you can fish along the edge. But he said, under no circumstances are you to go out in that water. So Bob went out, 
you know, on the edge, and he was fishing day in and day out, and he's wondering, what's it like out there? What's it like out there? And you know what happened. Finally, the, uh, the curiosity of a nine-year-old got the best of him, and he started to walk out. And as soon as he started to walk out, he said, my feet were in the mud, in the muck. And he said, I could feel that cold goo come up over my sneakers. He said, this was awesome. And then he said, I walked a little further. And he said, it was up to, my, up to my legs. And then I kept walking, and it was over my knees. He said, then finally, it was over my thighs. He said, this was so crazy fun. He said, I could bend over backwards, and I wouldn't even fall. I could go this way. I could go that way. He said, wow. But after a while... He said, the tide started coming back. He said, well, you know, I better get out of here. But you know what happened. He's up to his thighs. He tries to move. And the more he tries to move, the further down he goes. The water kept coming up. Bob was, Bob was in a bad way. The terror just kind of overtook him. He said, I started to yell. He said, I yelled and screamed, help, help. He said, I yelled until I was hoarse. I couldn't yell anymore. And then he said, it finally dawned on me. I'm going to die. Nine-year-old kid said, I'm going to die. He said, the water's up here. He said, I'm going to die. I can't move. The water's going to keep coming. He said, I started to cry. Then he said, I started to pray. He said, oh, Lord, please deliver me. He said, yet the water kept rising. And he said, finally, when all hope was gone, he said, Bob heard, he said, I I heard my father in the distance yelling to me, Bob, just stay there, I'll be right back. He said, very soon, my father came back with two long flat board planks. And he said, my dad laid the one board out and he walked out on it and he took the other one and laid it on it and he, and he made his way out to his son with these two planks so that he wouldn't step in the, in the muck and mire and get stuck. And he said, finally, he said, my dad put one plank on the right side of me and the, the other side on the, on the left side of me and he said, he put his arms around me and he said, he began to pull. Now he said, you have to understand, my dad, when he was growing up, was what they called a 90-pound weakling. He said, my dad didn't have any strength at all. But he said he read in a comic about this particular weightlifting program, whatever, and he said, my dad went from a 90-pound weakling to a powerhouse. And he said, there was my dad. And he says, he starts to pull on me. He's pulling at me, and he said, Bob said, first of all, I felt my, my feet leave my sneakers. And then he said, my dad kept pulling, and he said, I felt my pants leave my legs. <laughs> and he said, finally, he said, my dad had me free. And he said, we were there in the water. We were laughing and crying together. He said, it was a joyous, joyous moment. He said, years later, when I was in ministry, he said, I came across the 69th Psalm. It's always been a favorite psalm of mine after hearing Bob's story. It reads in part, save me, O Lord, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there's no foothold. I've come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. 
But I pray to you, O Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me. I share that story for my sake as well as yours to say that we need to watch out how we're walking. Standing firm in quicksand society requires that you and I aren't too busy, too preoccupied with our lives, too caught up with the important things of life that we forget about the absolute foundational, absolute priority of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bob Welch didn't heed his father's instruction. He was tempted by what he saw in front of him, and as a result, he lost his footing, and he no longer stood firm on solid ground. Dear friends, my concern, my plea this morning is that we, you and I, in 2024, stand firm for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that we do that through these four commands. What are they? Work out, hold out, pour out, watch out. Worship team, would you come? Lord, thank you for this time together in your word. Lord, would you continue to speak by your spirit into our lives? And we give you praise for all that you are, for all that you do, and Lord, for all that you want yet to do in our lives while we are here on this earth for so brief a period of time. And we will give you praise in your precious and holy name.